Hello everyone and welcome back to this Human Life Podcast. I'm Melissa and this is the companion podcast to the book This Human and uh, it's intended as a bit of a deep dive into some of the content, well all of the content actually, I'm reading every single page um, from front to back. Uh, yeah, a bit of an exploration into the different facets of the book. Um, I sort of embellish the content with some personal stories and some, you know, recent projects and all of that kind of thing. There is also a, a website that you can go check out some stuff at thishuman.com. Um, there's some free goodies on there and some courses and, and that sort of thing. But let's just get straight into it. So we are um, currently working through chapter two. Um, this is page uh, 54 and we're going to kick off with exercise 2.2. So this chapter is about envision or envisioning. Last podcast episode was all about creating the fertile place in your mind to be able to do some creative thinking and think about the future and come up with some ideas and insights and all that kind of stuff. So um, this continues on along that theme and we're going to be talking about impact scenarios. Follow these three steps to create a robust description of an impact scenario to guide your work and allow you to create something of meaningful impact. An impact scenario is a very straightforward tool to help you connect with the ideal outcome of your work. As human-centered designers, we use design scenarios to describe the human context we are designing for, their challenges, events, actions, and experiences. Design scenarios are often written at the activity level as they inform the specific design of a service or product experience. An impact scenario is more abstract and has less detail. I think what we're trying to do with impact scenarios is to remind um, design teams about uh, the outcome that they're ultimately in service of and um, these sorts of scenarios are really helpful for leaders, leaders of design teams, leaders of any human actually. Um, it's really important to be able to paint a compelling picture of the outcome that everyone's working towards enabling. So um, that's essentially what these are. Okay, step one, state the epic how might we question. Creating a how might we dot 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 Every time I say that, by the way, I think of um, Stephen Colbert's impersonation of um, Trump. I'm ruined. Anyway, creating a how might we question encapsulates the ultimate intention of your work. This is also a great way to keep your work relevant to the original context of your work. So here's an, here's a, um, an example. Uh, when I was writing this book, we were doing um, work in um, family violence so I think that was very present um, and on my mind so the example how might we create a human-centered approach to the implementation of recommendations to improve the experience of government assistance in family violence cases uh, I think I've shared this link previously but I'll do it again in the show notes for this episode but um there's a how might we framework there's there's heaps available on the internet but we've created one as well that's easily downloadable from the huddle website so I'll just pop that in the in the show notes okay step two connect with the context of inquiry summarize the context for your work who you are observing and who you are actually designing for these are often not the same 
and we can get this confused sometimes. Example, the context includes all people involved in the experience of services provided by the government in assisting victim survivors of family violence. Our work is informed by the people experiencing the services. We are designing for the people delivering the services. Okay, step three, uh, envision the intended outcome. What is the situation or new reality you are creating for the people you are designing for or with? Uh, This outcome should not prescribe a solution. It should explain the experience of the successful implementation of your work. You need to go one step further and visualize what this reality will feel like for you and for those involved in the broader impact of your work. Write down or draw what this visualization looks and feels like to you and use it as a guiding light through the project. Example, the recommendations are implemented in a way that is true and empathic to the experience of those dealing with family violence so that the experience of assistance and support from government permanently improves the life of the person in need. In the book, I've shown what each of these steps is informed by. So step one is informed by the brief. Step two is informed by the brief and some emergent learnings from research. Step three is informed by research and your imagination. I think I keep bringing up uh, the role of imagination and research because we can sometimes restrict the way that we use our imagination only to the points where, you know, ideation is appropriate or we're coming up with new solutions when you're in the solution space for example Um, it's kind of acceptable to bust out your imagination then I find it really useful to be able to connect with your imagination in sense making and also in um, seeing the connection between things that are emerging from the research that you're doing as well Um, it doesn't mean that you're using your imagination to make up uh, data (laughs) Um, that's not what I mean. I mean, from the rigorous research that you're doing, your imagination can be a really powerful skill uh, to be able to um, envision what the impact of that of those findings, what the impact of those insights can work towards. Okay, on the same page, this is page 55, um, there's another little exercise which says keep an open mind. When you envision scenarios of impact that are informed by your insight and imagination, you become very familiar with your work, and this can also be a thorn in your in your side. It's like a friend who's in yet another romantic relationship explaining to you why this time it's forever. <laughs> Halfway through the conversation, you realize you aren't paying any attention because you've heard it all before. This can happen also with your work. <laughs> oh my God so funny rereading your own work um you know years down the track anywho your familiarity with your work can sometimes prevent you from seeing new emergent patterns relating to impact it is essential to remain open to continue to see things with your beginner's mind as if it was the first time you were seeing these findings remain curious about what is possible and create the space for these new connections and patterns to land So it's an important point that I make, I have to say. I just took an interesting pathway getting there. Um, But yeah, maybe it helps with the the conceptualization of what it is that I'm trying to communicate. All right, moving on. Page 56. Better think big. As you take an idea from your head into reality, it starts to brush up against things. 
Your idea was safe and nourished in your mind, but as it takes form, other things interact with it. It is affected by opinion, constraints, and current reality. Corners get chipped off, and you polish the edges up, and so it continues. The very nature of bringing an idea into reality requires it to become denser and more tangible. If you start with a small idea, it will end up smaller in real life. You may as well think big to start with, so that as you go through the process of making it happen, it still ends up at an impactful scale. This thinking is particularly relevant to strategic and service design, as the design context for this activity is usually broad, complex and human-centred. Being human-centred introduces complexity and dynamism into the equation, which invariably plays a huge part in what is actually possible. As a practitioner, interested in the deliberate and meaningful creation of realities that have a positive impact on this world, your ideas and visions need to be big. Big just means what is big for you. Don't compare your idea of big with someone else's. The world needs meaningful ideas on all scales. Now, I'm very happy I said that because I was going to take issue with the fact that all ideas need to start big at the beginning. And I think um, the sort of the underlying point that I'm making here is to be expansive with your ideas, to allow them to uh, be explored uh, to the limits of what um, A, you are capable of doing, but also um, of what the... Um, the, the full potential of the idea might be. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's the smallest of initiatives. And when I mean small, I mean the most focused of initiatives that can have the biggest impact. So the idea itself doesn't need to be, you know, we're going to uh, redesign the education system in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, that's not really what I mean. Um, I mean, sometimes we can limit ourselves when we come up with ideas. We can limit ourselves by telling ourselves what's possible and what's not possible. And what I'm saying is that the process of, of um, bringing an idea out of your head and into the world um, naturally does that for you. So you don't need to do the culling in your brain before you actually start trying to put that idea into into action. <laughs> Let the process of bringing an idea into reality take care of that for you. Okay, how to think big. My experience as a systems engineer taught me about designing systemically. Very early in my career, I worked on both the supplier, Sumitomo, and the assembler side, Ford. On the supplier side, you are concerned with components, e.g. buttons, subsystems, e.g. screens, and sometimes systems, e.g. audio, um, air conditioning, and information modules. On the assembler side, you are concerned with the systems, for example, instrument panels, and the super system, for example, the car. And, in particular, the design of the interfaces between these scales of design. The systems thinking diagram on page 59 is an example of how to apply this thinking to different scales of impact. Systems thinking is a very pragmatic tool to help you connect with the different scale of impact the outcomes of your work may have. It also helps you choose which scale of impact is appropriate for the nature of the work you are doing. Connect initially with the immediate impact of your work, then ask what larger scale system this is a part of and what impacts are possible at that level. 
ask the same questions for each level of impact. As you go through this process, think creatively about the vision you have for the impact your work can contribute at each scale. You might find you can keep going until you're talking about the planets and our cosmos, which is a great creative exercise. However, make sure the impact you visualize is one you will be able to draw a pathway to from the work you are doing now. It is important to have this grounded in plausibility. Don't draw the bow too far in case you lose the link between the work you are doing today and the scale of the impact you have visualized. So I think I might uh, sort of jump around a bit. So on the on the page, um, what is that? Page 59, it's got the uh, system thinking V, we used to call it at Ford, which uh, I have uh, completely made unrecognizable, I think. But anyway, um, I think I might talk about that first before going back to page 58 and continuing to read because I'm actually changing tack, um, going from systems thinking to what's inside manifests outside. So on page 59, there's this exercise, which is called Thinking Big, how to use systems thinking to increase the scale of your visualization. And it basically talks about the different levels of impact that you can conceive of and so design systemically for. The the highest level there is super system, which uh, I've just anchored at uh, impact globally. And then it goes all the way down to the subcomponent, which I've anchored in as impact on individual. So I think I might start from the bottom and go up. Um, So you can see how the scale of impact changes as you increase what sometimes is referred to as the level of analysis or the level of thinking. So this is a worked example um, of thinking big. New systems thinking to help explore different scales of impact. The number of levels is almost arbitrary as it changes depending on what is being designed. This diagram illustrates the impact on people affected by family violence. All right, so the subcomponent level is the impact on an individual. Service designed to improve the experience for the individual, enabling them to receive better help more often with a more meaningful, positive impact on them personally. Component. Um, so the component level, next level up, impact on the family. Service designed to improve experience. Service designed to improve experience for the whole family, requiring design for victims and perpetrators, well-being of families improved. All right, so the next level up is subsystem. Impact on the community. Reduced occurrence of family violence decreases the reliance on support services relating to mental and medical health and reduces absenteeism for those affected by violence. Next level up, system. Impact on society. Reduced reliance on related services takes the pressure off the public service system, decreases absenteeism, results in higher productivity across the nation and improved well-being. And the super system level, which is impact globally, increased productivity and well-being across Australia results in stronger economic growth in the region. Um, The value in this framework comes from doing the thinking that clarifies the different aspects of what you are designing, especially if it is a complex system that you're designing with in terms of a systems hierarchy. The reason why I have put this in here in particular is is because not only does it help you think at different scales and to help you sit with what those different impact scenarios might be that are available to you in the project that you're working on, but it can also be used as as a, a way to interrogate the 
the level of thinking that's happening and whether or not you're actually communicating at the right level depending on um, the impact that you're working towards. So if, for example, the impact that you are um, working towards as a collective is at the um, impact on the community level and all of your conversations and your design decisions are being made at the individual level, it can this sort of uh, framework can show that discrepancy. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. It just helps you be mindful and, and deliberate about the way that you're going about creating a design to have impact. Okay, so I might just read this little bit and call that, and it'll be a good place, we might finish with a quote. Okay, um, page 58, back to page 58. What's inside manifests outside? Creating a vision is serious business because it becomes the blueprint that guides your work. What is inside your mind, your thoughts and feelings, are what you end up creating outside of yourself. It is essential to realize that the way you are thinking or feeling about something will color the way you bring it into the world. If you are confident your idea is going to work and it is the meaningful translation of insight into reality, it will land confidently in reality. Other people will feel your confidence and also feel confident about it, which feeds the energy cycle. If you are unsure about it or worried it isn't going to fly with your manager or teammates, then it probably won't. It's best to work out whether this lack of confidence is something you are doing to yourself, like a limiting belief you may have about your abilities, or whether it is a signal about the idea itself, which might mean you've missed something and need to revisit your work. Vigilance about how you are thinking and being about your idea during the process of imagining how it will manifest in the world sets up what you are going to create and how you are going to create it. Neuroscientist Carl Prebrum agrees, we create things because we can think of them. Think about research as an act of observation, obviously. I mean, observational research is exactly that, but just go with me on this. (laughs) We can break this act of observation into two flows of information, outside in and inside out. The outside in flow is observing what we see in reality and making sense of it internally. The inside outflow is bringing forth what we've made sense of in our minds back out into the outside world so that others can benefit from what we've learned. As a human-centered designer, you have the knowledge, skills, and tools to meaningfully create something in the world. Presumably, you've chosen human-centered design because you are also passionate about the human condition and want to create better alternatives for and with people around the world. You can only create what you are capable of envisioning, which is why it is crucial to foster and build this ability. We constantly work with flows of energy, taking inspiration from the outside world, making sense of it in our minds, then bringing it into creation in the outside world. Alrighty, so the quote that I'm on, and this is Carl Pribram. Pribram? Pribram? Sorry, Carl. Not only do we construct our perceptions of the world, but we also go out and construct these perceptions in the world. We make tables and bicycles and musical instruments because we can think of them. And that is on page 60, which is where I will stop reading today. Um, This bit about what's inside manifests outside has become a really uh, important 
uh, orientation for me in my work, in my work in um, as a practitioner in human-centered design, but also as a leader and um, a leadership coach. And what I found is that we really need to um, be doing the work internally so that the way that we show up externally is in alignment with the um, the impact that we want to see in the world. Um, I know it sounds pretty cliche and lots of people say it differently in lots of different ways, but I feel really strongly about any person who is in a leadership position or is leading groups of designers who are actually out there creating the alternative realities for people that we really need to be vigilant about what's informing those decisions because I don't know if you don't know who you are as a person and your, your tendencies and the things that you privilege um, um, over other things. And I mean that in terms of what you you know pay attention to or what you give more importance to. Um, if you're not aware of those things for yourselves, then who's actually doing the designing? Hmm, profound. Okay, I will leave you with that uh, pensive thought. <laughs> um, thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening, as always. Um, it's a real pleasure to go through and uh, go deeper into the work with you. And uh, I hope you're finding it useful. Um, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Tune in next week for the next installation episode, whatever, 17. All right, talk to you then. Bye.